And welcome back to the Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. Team Godzilla, just here, chilling, ready to talk about MTG, MTG. Um, why are you Team Godzilla? I don't know. I feel like I'm old. I feel like I'm going to be a, I'm going to be 100 percent honest with you. Warner Brothers sent me uh, both shirts when they released the Blu-ray. Oh, you're wearing a Godzilla the, shirt. I see now. I have the team. I have the, I have the team uh, King Kong Team Kong shirt. Also, they're okay, uh, okay. you know they they fit okay. So I kept them around. I gave the toys to my niece and nephew. I use the bath towel sometimes to uh, block my window because my shades are weird during summer when I need to have the AC running out the window. Okay, you know, I've okay. put the whole package to good use. Uh, today we're talking about Magic: The Gathering. Uh, for those who don't know, we're a Masters of Modern podcast. We talk about modern. We talk about regular magic. We have guests on that are great. We talk about stuff like this. Today we're going to be talking about the fact that um, Grix's Death Shadow is the best deck in the format, and it's not really close. And what does that mean? There was a uh, PTQ qualifier or PTQ esque qualifier uh, over the weekend, and a massive tournament. And uh, there's a whole top. 32 that we have available that we can kind of go over and talk about what are the most played cards and also the fact that uh, in the top four uh, the top four itself we're all Grixis Death Shadow decks. So we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> um, but in, before we get into that, uh, make sure to please check out our patron. Uh, if you like content like this or you like this episode, we release literally the whole episode uh, a week early or like on Thursdays we record on Wednesdays. And the podcast released on Tuesdays, um, a whole week or almost a whole week early. Uh, you get the whole edited version of the podcast. You get all of the little mistakes, all of the, the the more deep dives that we think maybe aren't aren't like meant to be in public eyes. You hear us swear. But you also get an extra bonus 20 minutes of content at the beginning of every episode where we talk about all kinds of stuff, including magic from Marvel movies. Today, we talked about sandwiches and what the best fast food sandwich is. And if you want to hear about that conversation, our opinions on it, uh, check that out. We also find out what Ben's Pokemon starter of choice from gen one and gen nine would be <laughs> this is the type of content you get there i maybe explained what dragon ball z was to him at one point uh so definitely check it's it out on patreon content you deserve you also <laughs> if you join the patreon get an access to the actual episode when it's fully edited and released a whole day early on mondays versus tuesdays plus a bunch of other extra cool stuff so definitely check that out uh we also have all of the um thanks and appreciation towards tcg player who if you use our code below you can get uh um you can get us some benefits uh, in the form of making this podcast happen into the future uh, through sponsorship. And uh, just if you don't mind anything on TCG player, please just click through our page. Uh, and then that is also true for altar sleeves. So if you, uh, we have a whole little store with all the altar sleeves that we like, and then also are going to start coming out exclusive for patrons, uh, exclusive MM cast altar sleeves as well in the near future. And if you check out the link below, uh, you can go to altersleeves.com to check out and, or or just use the MM cast when you check out and you and it helps us out as well. Uh, and uh, last but not least, please hit that like and subscribe button it is super appreciated. And as always, to get started, uh, we are going to do a little game of trivia. Oh, I love some trivia. Sometimes I get sometimes I get them right. Occasionally get those to get those likes. And the way this works is I'm making a bet with all of y'all. And, and Ben, uh, I'm going to ask Ben a trivia question. He's going to hit him and ha for a second, giving all of y'all a chance to comment. Uh, you're going to comment your answer below. And then uh, if you get it right, uh, congratulations. We appreciate your viewership and you get a high five and I will like your post. If you get it wrong, though, you're going to have to hit that like and subscribe button. It's just the rules. We don't make them up if you can't get the answer correctly. Now, if you've got it right and you want to hit like and subscribe, we're going to appreciate it. But for those who get it wrong, you're obligated. It is it is a legal contract that I'm making with you publicly right now, and you're just going to have to deal with it. All right, Ben, 
which card was banned that created the format that allowed Grixis Death Shadow to arrive as one of the best decks in the format in modern? A card that was banned mm-hmm. that created Grixis Death Shadow. Yes. Is 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 credited with creating Grixis Death Shadow. So before it was banned, uh, Death Shadow decks existed, but were not a big part of the metagame. And then this card was banned, thinking to have killed the deck, and it actually made it one of the best decks in the format. I believe I know the answer to this question. I'm going to just give it. I'm going to hem and haw. I'll do it like a Schmodown match. You're sitting here. I'll be looking at you. You'd be looking at me and you'd be thinking, he knows this. He knows this answer, but he's just faking it. And there'd be five, four. How many repeats do I have? Oh, you're right. Okay. Uh, Gitaxian Probe? Uh, That is correct. It is Gitaxian Probe. He knew it the uh, whole time. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, the the acting here is astounding. We should put you on a TV show. Uh, So uh, if you got that right, if you guessed Gitaxian Probe, thank you very much. If you hit that like button or subscribe button, we appreciate it. If not, uh, you got to hit that like and subscribe button regardless. That's just the deal you made. It's not my fault you made that deal. It's your fault. Hit that like and and subscribe. the answer to the question of why did that happen and how did that happen, it's actually a very interesting story. And it's that the Gitaxian Probe combination with Grixis Death Shadow originally in the original versions of the deck was seen as such a necessary card because you would use it to go all in with your Death Shadow deck to see their hand, pay life, and then eventually double strike them with Team or Battle Rage. What happened was the card was banned. And people were like, oh, man, you're not going to be able to go all in anymore. The deck is going to have to just play fair magic. And then they realized that if the deck was, in fact, playing fair magic, instead of going for the team or battle rage, I kill you out of nowhere combo. But just I play all the good cards and I don't need to know your hand and I don't need Gitaxian Probe. The deck was just better. And it was like a Grixis Jund with just cheaper cards, basically. And yeah. that's how Grixis Death Shadow was born. It, it ends up that uh, the like the infect version of the deck, which is what was built originally, which is like, you know, I go, I like try making this one creature. That's a 10, 10 that can double strike someone to death. And I use Gitaxian probe and, uh, street wraith and other things that kind of just like draw cards and get down to a min- low enough health total where I can kill someone out of the blue. It was not as good as just playing Thoughtseize. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and like <laughs> basically you got the power level of the Grixis cards you needed from counter magic to card filtering to, um, you know, uh, all the things you want from blue, you get all the black stuff, you get all the red stuff, you get like kind of, you basically were making a Jund Tempo deck that instead of um, needing to play green for Tarmogoyf, you just got to play Death Shadow. And and uh, at that point, at one point before before Luris was seeing play or printed, uh, you would play it with um, stuff like Tassiger and, and uh, Gurmag Angler. But uh, the world has changed since then uh, for better or for worse. And... Uh, but yeah, so it's it's one of like the famous examples of like a deck that was ex- extraordinarily powerful in the metagame, like w- existing, but then because just people hadn't figured out the right thing yet, they hadn't weren't playing it. Like it, you know, this is kind of similar to like Amulet Titan. You know, Amulet Titan was a deck in the format for like a year and a half before it started seeing play, but it didn't actually start getting traction until like just like someone figured it out and the right pro played at the right tournament and uh, lantern control is another example of that yes exactly and uh and, and it's it's i think one of the things that's most fascinating about what we're talking about is that basically um you there's this group mind idea that we all know what's best in magic because so many of us are trying to figure it out all together 
And so we all spend time working on it and posting lists. And it's kind of, okay, I got a better idea because I I love Commander now. I play it with you a fair amount. And uh, when I want to build a Commander deck, I will sometimes look up online and be like, oh, can I find a good list of this Commander for ideas and inspiration? And there's always this fear I have, which is that if I find somebody doing something cool that's the most popular list, that probably it's going to be playing all of the most synergistic cards that are the coolest and any idea that I had then I won't feel like I can take credit for any longer. Mm-hmm. But I often find that those ideas, they just give me other ideas. And I end up with my own list doing its own thing different than the one I found. And and there's no, and it doesn't matter how close to that list I want to play, those ideas will inevitably just give me ideas of my own. It's the same thing when it comes to any metagame, which is like, oh, well, the best version of the deck is this. And it's like somebody one day had to be like, I'm going to try playing Dress Down and it's going to be good because I can play it repeatedly and loop it with Luris. And that's a weirdly underpowered card, but it's just good in a lot of situations against a lot of decks. And I can play it over and over again and it sacrifices itself. It's just really good. And then somebody else was like, oh, that's a clever sideboard card. Wait, actually, that's just really good in the main deck. That's just a good card. Well, yeah, I mean, like it's it's one of those cards that like this has a bunch of weird, cool situational power level things with it that is bonkers with Death Shadow, right? It just turns Death Shadow into a 13-13 by being in play. And so it's it's one of those like like in you know in the Geist deck I have uh Sundial of the Infinite, and that's a card that combos with some things in a cool way. And when I draw them together, that's great. But the fact that it also combos with my main game plan of just Geist of Saint Traft, I get to keep the angel at the end of turn, I get to play with it in the deck. And then I get the cool thawing glaciers or, you know, other like small blink effect removal features to it that are cool as well. And in this example, that's the point, right? Like because dress down works so well with death shadow and you're able to get like a, you know, on turn two, 13, 13 and draw a card off of it. You get to play dress down, which then is a good answer to a ton of different cards that exist from primeval titans to or what you know whatever you need to kind of shut down on turns and so it, it like is this cute little perfect you you like want to take synergistic you, you like synergistic cards that are then valuable past that synergy are the perfect type of card and and dress down's a great example of that well i mean can you even play in this version of the deck how often can you even really play death shadow on turn 1 without it just dying in this version of the deck, sure, I'm not I guess sure it's a you turn, can. It's a turn. So you need to get Death Shadow alive, and then you yeah, because because I without without. I mean, you can. It is possible in this version of the deck. It's it, it is possible because uh, this version of the deck it, does. I don't think, you'd have to. Oh, no, is this, oh, this version doesn't even play Street Wraith. Wow, that's no, crazy. no, no. They, they're not even playing Street Wraith anymore because you can't because um, Luris. You can't play Street Wraith. With right, right. Yeah. So then you can't you can't get a turn one Death Shadow. I don't think yeah, you want to turn deck. you turn one Thoughtseize fetch painfully. So you take 15 and then on the next turn you fetch again. So you can get a turn three dress down. Uh, uh, yeah. Play for sure. Yeah. Still 13, 13 what, what, on turn three yeah. is uh, good. <laughs> yeah. So I, we're going to talk a little bit about this deck. We're going to break down the format a bit. There's a couple things going on in modern right now that I think are important for us to address. Um, one of the big conversations online has been this whole discussion about the creatures that are getting played in the modern format. And you can see it reflected in these in these decks from the top 32. Um, but it's a lot of recent creatures. It's a ton of recent creatures. And well, we've talked about this for like in this tournament in the top 10 most played cards. The only cards that are not from modern horizons one onwards are lightning bolt engineered explosives and mishra's bobble we've talked about it for years but the the design cycle being two years behind with magic is really interesting especially when it comes to an internal format like modern you know 
they design and certain things get pushed in one direction or another. You know, you've seen creatures get pushed over the years, spells get powered down, but that's not really the case when it comes to direct to modern cards. It's mm-hmm. they, they 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 do it, but they don't do it with the same like that balance is not nearly as carefully monitored because with, with standard you're, you're having to play this really careful balancing act for new players to be able to get in by standard packs. You can't just, just drastically do something crazy in one set and then just something completely different in the next set, like a four, four for four at rare. And then the next set you, you, you like, Oh, the best that we're going to be able to do is a two, three for four. And that's the best rate. Like it doesn't make any sense. You sure. kind of have to go with the flow. Whereas with stuff that gets printed directly into modern, they can be like, yeah, I mean, this seems cool. I think the, the format's powerful enough for this. Let's go for it. And mm-hmm. I think what's happened is the combination of that power creep that we saw out of creatures a couple years back now in standard. We saw, you know, creatures like Uro. Uh, that carried over into the aggressive power level of the cards being printed directly into modern. And that's what you see here. That's how you have... The, you know, the, the winning deck, the top deck plays four copies of Dragon Raid Channeler, four copy of Raghavan. I mean, they're two of the best creatures ever printed in the history of Magic. They were printed in the last year. They're just, sure. it, it, it resembles, it like resembles an updated version of what you would have seen in an old like blue red Delver deck. Like that's kind of what you feel like you're looking at. But when you realize the power level difference between a creature like Delver and Nimble Mongoose compared to a creature like Raghavan and Dragon Raid Channeler, it, it's like you're playing with like, the varsity team versus professionals it, that that's the difference in quality sure like nimble sure, mongoose sure. was like the premier one drop in tempo decks in legacy mind you for years an untargetable one one that becomes a three three if you have seven cards in your graveyard so basically like a one mana untargetable three targetable three three mm-hmm, well mm-hmm. for the same thing it may it may be targetable but you have a card that filters the top of your deck grows and is evasive for one mana does all the things and the other card that you have accelerates you, draws you cards, and gets you two power on turn one, and you don't need anything in your graveyard. Right. Like, it's, it's, and they're both brand new creatures. I mean, Death Shadow, weirdly enough, and in the most hilarious way, is the namesake of the deck, and it's the least powerful of those three creatures. <laughs> sure. Yes. Uh, it does, it does like benefit from the strategy in a way that's unique, but yes, it's, it's, it's like how far we've come that Death Shadow is the third best creature of these, of these four crazy it's 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 really insane so there was a lot of death shadow grixis decks uh literally the top four finishing decks were all grixis shadow and and look i've been playing modern on sundays periodically on the channel and you know building out decks i i can tell you that having looked at the results recently of modern tournaments it's, this has not been the case for three months it, like, mm-hmm. it, it has not this is this is a newer development it was this tournament this particular weekend it's a recent development that this is the deck du jour it's been a good deck for a while well, right now it's well placed and there's interesting features right there's no hammer time in this entire top 32 yep so there, everybody was there for it. there's the decks that are most the cool the, probably the coolest thing from this top eight that we're we you know we haven't really touched on it's not in the top eight it's as soon as you drop out of the top eight and you get into like the wider format itself it's the blue black red green the not white uh living, living index the like living end deck who's who's gotten a lot of power level pushes from kamigawa, kamigawa. Block, the new kamigawa set Be, with with the fact that it's playing besiju it's playing um otara the soaring city uh but more importantly it's playing two colossal sky turtles and yep. i think that's the big addition to the deck that's pushed it towards 
these colors. This this deck was strong enough and popular enough and kind of the big secret sauce from the tournament that it was in the top creature conversation before this tournament and leading up to it as it was going on. The whole conversation, as you mentioned, was like in the top 10 creatures in in, in the format, nine of them were printed or 100% of them were printed in the last since since basically Eldraine, right? And yeah. But in this tournament, that's not true. You have striped. You have all of the cards from this one deck. You have striped Riverwinder. You have Street Wraith. You have Curator of Mysteries. You have Charlotte's Agent, which is debatably added because of you know Modern Horizons. You have you have Waker of the Waves, and I guess Waker of the Waves was twenty twenty one. But what I was going to say is, I, but I, but I think what's cool about what you're saying here, and I think what's really interesting is that it's a combination of new and old stuff. I mean, it's not you know this deck is not full of stuff from way back when. I mean, sure, Architects of Will that's an older card. Mm-hmm. Street Wraith is an older card, but I mean you know uh waker of waves is a card that was printed in the last two years you know colossal sky turtle is a newer creature titanoth rex that's a newer creature and they're not overpowered creatures they're just cool creatures that fit into the strategy nicely and and put this deck into a place where it gets to be more competitive which i think is really cool waker of waves is one of my favorite cards printed for living end in quite a while uh i love that i love waker of waves so much it's like one of my favorite artists in staples it's like really good yeah i mean it's a big creature that also is card selection if you need it early like come on yeah, I mean, and this is a deck that's definitely benefiting from Modern Horizons cards, right? It has it has grief in it. It's playing Shardless Agent, um, but it it definitely it's playing Force Negation. But like, it is this own cool version of a Living End deck, and it's it's something different because it's only playing red for Violent Outburst. Like the rest of this deck is just castable cards that you're just trying to get to that one. Uh, that or Shardless Agent are your only Cascade triggers, right? Like otherwise, it's just a. It would not be playing red if it wasn't for the fact that it needed a second cascade spell in these colors and that ends up being violent outburst. yeah yeah pretty pretty interesting uh definitely one of the cooler decks uh, we, we got to see played over the weekend and uh, was, you know let's see it was one two three four four of the decks in the top 32 were that um another deck that was really really kind of uh like really presented was uh mono green tr- uh, tron was it oh it was mono green tron okay yeah, all these mono green decks are Tron. Oh, gotcha. It's a mix. It's it's Tron and mono green um, amulet decks, amulet type I deck. didn't, when I looked at the lists, I didn't even realize that they were Tron decks. It, yeah, it may, I mean, it makes, it totally makes sense that they would be Tron decks. There's no confusion there on my part now that I look a little closer. I just thought they, they look like modern green Azusa decks to me, but yeah, you're there's, absolutely there's, right. There's, they're both are represented, right? In the top eight, there were two green, green Azusa decks. Like those are the ones that did the best by the end of the tournament. But if you drop down past it, there are yeah, there you go, one, two, three four five six different decks and about half of them are tron decks and so like the big the big ramp decks it's not surprising that the tron decks did badly once you got to the top 32 because their matchup against um grixis grixis death shadow is bad right like you're 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 like they're playing one drops and that are like and then countering spelling or, or preventing your big spells from doing anything and and killing you with the tempo to stop you versus the amulet Titan decks who did better in those matchups, though they did lose in the top eight where you're playing a much more explosive game plan. Right. And that's kind of what you need to be able to beat tempo decks often is out tempo them with explosiveness. I look at this and I have one response and one response only because you look at the fifth place deck, the white red deck that is playing a bunch of good red creatures and Luris. Um, Luris is the problem. <laughs> Luris is absolutely the problem. I, I I like don't think that getting rid of one of, you know, Chandler or Raghavan or Mishra's Bobble or something like that is going to make it any better. I think like 
I just think Luris is a problem. I think companion as a general mechanic was a problem. We we know this. We've talked about it at length. I don't see a. I just don't see like the power level of these top four decks, top five decks. They become good. They just become good decks that are competitive. Mm-hmm. That are not like they don't have cheap cards mixed with inevitability when you don't have a companion like that. And the companion just adds this extra angle of like. Yeah, I'll just exhaust all the things early and maybe kill you. And then if I don't, I'll just get this companion in my hand and play it. And, and now I have like a trump card that's going to get me all the value back because I'm playing lots of good cards. Yeah, and without that, they're just normally good cards. I don't see how you look at this tournament and say like, yeah, Luris is fine. Yeah, totally. It's it's I mean, it's the it's the thing that stands out to me above all else here. I think there's a lot of fun stuff. I think there's a lot of good cards. I have no problems with there being a lot of recent cards in here. Like I think Horizons 2 is fine. I like Raghavan. I like Channeler. I like playing with those cards. I'm fine playing against those cards. None of them feel like they ruin magic for me. Luris makes me feel like if I drew better than you and I have an advantage, but I don't close out the game and I don't have something that can compete with it, you will just put it into your hand, claw back in, and mm-hmm. I will. And it's like magic's not supposed to be played that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think there's like a lot of cool stuff going on in this tournament once you leave that Grixis moment, though, right? Like there's like the Indomitable Cruelty decks are so sick. The fact that there's yeah. like you know, people trying to basically do what was polymorph decks, but now they get to actually play with good cards and they get Emrakul and Sarah's Emissary out here with a bunch of Planeswalkers and you're able to create a really cool game plan. Like, that's really cool to me. The fact that you now have a cool white-blue version of um, Hammer Time, right? Using, now playing Reality Chip as it's, as at, just for that that extra card draw and being able to tutor for a creature yeah, one of my that favorite, way. One of my favorite new cards. God, Comic-Out was so sick. It is a little weird that there's like not that many Kamigawa guards in here. Well, I, mean, I think some of that is availability because this is on Moto, right? Sure. So you're you're dealing with a like there's like, for instance, like, you know, the the Kappa, which is in the commander product, but it's like a legacy vintage staple is like a hundred plus dollars on Moto or a hundred plus tickets because it's like only openable in chests. Got it. So Got like it. enough people have to play enough tournaments to make that card available to be able to play legacy and vintage with it. So like card availability still matters more in this type of tournament where it was like on release day that like you're still going to have some I, I i will say i will agree with you though that there is not nearly as much besaju yeah the green um, decks are all playing the green decks are almost all playing besaju almost none of the grixis decks are playing playing the spell and part of that is just they've always played with such low land counts right because they like right really yeah i mean two they, lands to play but you would think that's that would like allow the situation all that I was going to say that's the situation when you and I talked last week about it, about how what you know, what's the downside? Why wouldn't you? And the answer to that question is that the tighter of a format you get, the more high powered and the more refined the deck list is, the more and more it becomes. I can't play with a, a monocolored untapped source on turn one if my deck has to not hit a single like it just can't. I can't do that. Right. My deck doesn't function as well if I draw this as the, as the land half. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm not intending to draw this as the land half, then I have to play a different, more powerful card because it's not a powerful enough card. And I do think like the Hammer Time decks were significantly less present because I think a lot of people are expecting Besaju uh, Amulet Titan decks to be everywhere. Like Amulet Titan yeah. being able to uh, tutor for an artifact land and enchantment removal spell really makes those decks like less appealing to me. Um, <clears throat> one of the other decks that was playing a lot of Besaju as well that did well this this weekend was the Yagamoth decks, the Yagamoth combo decks, um, that deck continues to just be the new version of, you know, collected company birthing pod combo. 
Right. Basically, yep. Court of Calling decks. Really, if we're, if we're really honest, every deck, including the Birthing Pod decks, have all been Court of Calling decks. And the most recent version is these Yagamoth value engine ones. And this continued to do well. Got one in the top eight. Let me see. Where's the whole list? I got one in the top eight. I have one, uh, two, three, three copies of it in the in the total tournament. There was another combo based green deck with a walking ballista deck uh green white I saw that. company yep. got um got 15th place and then i think this white black green deck is also and then yeah and then there's there's uh they they're calling it white black green because it's playing one to call honor guard in the sideboard but that's sure. another that's another black green list that's you know in that then that yagamoth world um so it, it definitely got like yeah. four of the spots in the tournament if you include the white green one it got five and so that's like another cool one. But you see like almost no control. That's something that's almost totally void. The control decks are much closer to the Grixis Death Shadow lists. I, I was going to say or, that, yeah. It's, this, re- this resembles a little bit more of what modern used to be like back when control didn't exist, when you pretty much had combo aggro midrange. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the closest thing to control decks were kind of midrange decks. Um, I mean, blue-white was always it was a fringe deck for years, and then it got really popular a few years ago and then blue white control became a, a real like a real deck for a really long time for for quite a few years there with the the unbanning of jace combined with teferi being printed uh combined with three mana teferi being printed all those things together made blue white control like a real player i think it still mm-hmm. is a player i just think it's not represented here but interestingly well, enough the more powerful blue blue white representation are the blue white hammer time decks and those decks are playing lion sash which by the way is was one of the cards we were excited about it's cool to see Mm-hmm. It's not surprising at all, but it's cool to see that it's in there. And I'm, like the way that these are currently uploaded is like not done by a tournament reporting system. So the decks aren't as established as what they could be. But for instance, there is like a Jeskai list that that plays more like the control. And this is like this. This honestly just reminds me of the old Sun and Moon decks, but splashing blue. But it's a counter cat deck. So it's like a Kahira in the sideboard, Felidar Guardian, Sahili Ray, Blue White Red, Chalice of the Void, Blood Moon deck um that's playing solitudes and furies with ephemerates like this list looks sweet and this is kind of like the control deck i would i expected to see more of and then them finally figuring out that there is the combo in with sahiri and 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 countercat and how felidar guardian is so good with a fury or a solitude that's been able to be stabilized on the board um is 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 sweet and the fact that kahira gets to hang out with felidar guardian the deck because it counts cats yeah, that's sick. <laughs> is, is is dope. I like really like that deck a lot. Uh, funny, like, but it's being listed as a blue, white, red, green deck because it has uh, Gaia's Blessing mm. in the sideboard to prevent itself from getting milled out. Like you bring this in and like, again, probably against the mill, the mill thing. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the mill no deck. game plan is like a sideboard against that, which just means that it's a bad matchup for them, which makes sense, um, especially because you don't want your combo to be milled out. I've played the mill deck a few times lately. It's really good. It's really good. It's really, really consistent. It's like shocking, shocking how good that deck is. You're just not not in the top eight. The white red decks are still, kind, you know, that 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 definitely seems to be the the burn, though. There's also another white red. This is closer to. Like almost Gigantha Storm. What? Wait, what is? Yeah, there's an. There was an. Oh, this deck is so sweet. I didn't see this the first time. There's a white red Gigantha Underworld Breach Manamorphose Storm deck. Oh, sick. Okay, yeah, I'm seeing this now. Yeah, this is this is this is doing it. It's, it's, it's playing Bergy, Lava Dart, Lightning Bolt, Desperate Ritual, Grape Shot, Manamorphose, Mishra's Bobble, Underworld Breach, Blood Moon, Gigantha. This list is so tight. This is from. Air of Elendel, 
Uh, I mean, what's cool about this too, though, and and I think this is not 16th place. Very interesting. It is playing the red. It is playing the red uh, Kamigawa land. I mean, this is an example of a blue red, or I'm sorry, of 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 a red deck playing Channeler and Ragavan not playing, uh, you know, uh, not playing Luris. So those cards are going to continue to be good and powerful no matter what. Though it is playing, it is playing a companion. So, um. But yes, I mean, I, I I think what like I guess that's my next question for you, right? So we you look at the the format, you look at this tournament, and and you get a pretty good sense of what's out there and what people are doing. Mm-hmm. Let's say they ban, let's say they ban Luris. Like I, you know, it, I don't know. There's certain there's certain magic tides that are coming in that I feel like are fairly obvious. And I to me, it's like <laughs> I think it's a pretty pretty sure thing that Luris will get yeah, banned. It's it's likely. So so I guess like one of the conversations is what what decks do I think are going to be good after that. I think that all of the decks that play companions that aren't Luris decks, like get a huge shot on the arm, all of the like Yorion decks, all the Kahira decks, all of the um, uh, Giganta decks all just become like way better. And I think Giganta and I think even Obosh and Giganta start being looked at. I think like Grix's Death Shadow probably maybe starts playing Obosh. They try and figure out how to get into one and three drops versus cutting and, and instead of using the two drops to kind of accomplish what their game plan is. Uh, which I know that deck is out there. I think the Yagamoth deck and gets a huge, huge bump. Um, Living End, I think it's a bump. I think like there's there's a lot of decks in this metagame that aren't aren't Luris decks. That's always the problem, right? It's just the problem. Oh, it's always the problem when when like Wizards cla- over the last few months was looking at it because they would look at the format and be like, oh yeah, Luris is in like you know fifty percent of the deck, but it's currently letting eight different types of decks survive in really cool ways. Plus there's an, it's only 50%. The other 50% is a bunch of other different cards, but the fact that so many of these decks are companion decks, I think is like the real issue to me. And the fact that Luris is doing what they're doing is, is an argument to be a problem. And, and, and it's cutting out the format diversity, right? Because Luris exists, Jund can't play Liliana the veil. Or or Bloodbraid right. or any other cool three drops and four drops. And so you, since you can't play them, their format's becoming much more homogenized around like the, the Dragon Channel Channel and, Channel and the yeah. Ragabond cards. Like by by getting rid of Luris, you open up because that's the one thing that's nice about the other companions is the rest of them don't limit the format's diversity as much as Luris does. Well, yeah, I mean, Luris is designed. Luris is designed in this weird way. And and you understand when they're designing those that they you're gonna get a Luris because they want to play to all different parts of magic, and that's a very exciting, very cool part of magic. Sure. Low CMC efficient cards. Like I love that stuff. So, you know, when I'm looking at the companions initially, it's not a question. Of course, Luris is the best one. But the problem with that is those types of cards, efficient one and two drops, are already the best cards in magic. They're already you're already encouraged to play them if they're well designed, they're powerful because they are cheaper and you play things that are cheaper and powerful in magic we know velocity ultimately will win you the game Mm -hmm. so if you're already doing that those cards are already good and there is one companion that rewards you for playing those you're ultimately just like sure i'll spike this why wouldn't i it it Mm -hmm. makes no sense not to like i get to play the game on turn one and two and then just have redundancy and just do that all game and you best case scenario are going to be playing things in the middle of the game but i'll probably still kill you like 
cuts out the fact that like some of the best answers are probably two like the best answer to Luris or the best way to fight one is to play your own. The second best one is probably a three drop, <laughs> right? It's like it's it's cards that like you can outvalue your opponent, and that's true, right? Like that's why the Yagamoth decks are working. That's why Amulet Titan are working. There's a reason to play non Luris cards, but so much of the format is being homogenized around that one card that I think it would open it up more. And and like the the devil's advocate side of that, right, is um that it doesn't, right? Like by getting rid of Luris, you lose like the three cool decks that are playing Luris, be it, be it, you know, uh, uh the prowess decks or um burn or or the like hammer time. And instead you just are like Merc Tide Regent and Amulet Titan at, are the only two decks that are good, right? Like it, it may be the Luris decks are like outvaluing things in a good way, but the library of cards that aren't able to see play right now in five of the main strategies of the format, I think is a lower, is a bigger hit to diversity than the styles of decks. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it totally makes sense. Yeah, I, when I look at this top 32, I think Modern's in a pretty exciting place. I don't think Modern's in a broken place. I think Modern is in an unfortunate place in the sense that I don't really think we'll get very far outside of a format that looks just like this with Luris here. So, so when's I, our next opportunity for Luris to get banned? Is that, there's no, the remember, there's no banning schedule, so they can ban at any moment, any time they look at it. So so Got if it. they think it's a problem, they like will give a weak announcement and then deal with it. Likely, it probably won't be... D- like there's no emergency need to do it, but it'll it'll be interesting when they choose. I think the thing to me that's like the grain of salt for this tournament is that Luris based Grixis Shadow is a deck that is very versatile in all of the different angles of attack. It can attack and put pressure onto people and is not very easy to be hated out. Graveyard hate's not very good at it. Like removal is good against it, but they have a lot of different ways to answer it. And now they have a lot of different threats that attack on different axes or axes. Uh, So I think that in a kind of the way, like a lot of the time burn is a deck that just like wins a standard Pro Tour right after rotation, like the number of burn decks that have top aided in September Pro Tours is like massive because people don't know how to deal with it. They don't know which cards they should be playing to fight it off the best that they could. Like it's a, you know, it's a limiting the format so wide open and changing. And I think that's a little bit of what happened this tournament, right? Like not only was this tournament up in the air where like what's good and what what has Kamigawa added to the format and which what these powerful lanes and what do they do to the format? You also have the ability to then like fight them off. And like the Cascade deck was a big player in this, right? A lot of people did very well with the new Living End deck. And I think that the Grixis deck beats the Living End deck. Are you at all con- are you at all con- uh, not confused, but surprised by the fact that of the Cascade decks, the Rhinos deck is not here at all? You have multiple think, versions I of think- Living End. I think that the power level of specifically Colossal Sky Turtle is the reason, right? Like Living End really wants to play with that card. The other cards in this deck, like it was missing. It was close already, right? Like even even before Kamigawa came out, you would still see Living End like prop into the top 32 decks in the format. The Rhino deck was above it. But it and the elemental deck was near it as well, but it wasn't always that far behind, right? It just was like just not as good as that one was. Now that you have like the versatility engine plus the redundancy of Colossal Sky Turtle, because Colossal Sky Turtle is a great removal spell, and it also lets you buy back your cask, you know, your your violent outbursts when they counter your living end the first time. It lets you 
kind of get around those issues. I think that was a big shot in the arm to this deck well, being successful now. One of the two, uh, you know, there's two lists here, uh, and one of them is playing Colossal Sky Turtle. The other one's not. Uh, they they ninth and tenth spot respectively. One of them plays two copies of Sky Turtle. The other one doesn't. I was gonna say, as far as Sky Turtle goes, I mean, removal spell more of like a tempo spell. Really, it's a, it's it's a tempo spell more than a removal spell, right? Because it's a bounce spell. This still a removal spell to me. Yeah. I still interaction. In the, it's a piece yeah, of interaction. Sure, yeah, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Because like you um, use it, and then the next turn you cascade, and you have a six five flying ward two enchantment creature in play. <laughs> Card's good. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think like there's an argument that this format like is weirdly benefited like the like I think that I think there's like a portion of the metagame that is weak to cheat big thing into play. And Grixis Death Shadow is good against that. Like if you look at this metagame that we're looking at, there's like a lot of like big stuff goes boom. <laughs> there's indomitable yeah. there's there's the the living end deck, there's indomitable uh creativity decks there's the tron decks there's the amulet titan decks there's all of those decks i think are weak to i have my one i'm i'm beating you down on turns one through three and while you're trying to deal with that i'm going to counterspell your big mega play and i think that's i think that's a little bit of the story here is that the metagame itself the fresh version of the metagame itself was weak to Grixis Death Shadow opponents just being knowing how to play their deck better than anyone else. Basically playing unchained lists. Like that's the crazy thing is like this this these lists did so well and most of them aren't playing any Kamigawa cards. Most of them don't even have the the the, the lands in their mana bases and it's just because I have this deck already. I'm just going to play it and I know what I'm doing. And you person who's playing the turtle deck, maybe didn't play enough of them. Maybe the fact that they only played two in one of the decks or didn't play in the other was the mistake. Maybe it's bad. And you're just playing with this clunky turtle. That's not doing anything while I'm like valuing at you out with Raghavan and Luris. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Cause we're, we're talking most played cards in the format right now. I, we have over here on the side of this column, we can talk about the most played creatures, most played spells. And you notice in the tournament that the, yeah, that the most played card period, end of story in the tournament is Raghavan and the most played creature. Go ahead. Uh, it's a little misleading uh, because I believe that counts based on um, uh, 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 like total copies per deck. You mean right. like it's the highest density? Like so Well, like I would be surprised if Luris isn't the most played card in the tournament. Fair point. And and I'm not saying I, I don't mean it to invalidate Luris. I realized that when I said this because you're only gonna have a single copy of Luris, but let's take Luris yeah, yeah, out yeah, for a second. Like, yeah, if I Luris think we is all like, agree. Yeah. You you and I agree, the audience probably agrees. Everybody who plays magic right now agrees. Luris is, I think, an issue and something will be done about that eventually, probably. Mm-hmm. But outside of Luris, the most played card in this tournament is Ragavan. And mm-hmm. it it's not it needs to not be understated how oppressively good that card is, how expensive that card is. And the fact that ah, it's, it's, it's debatable. Like I mean, you and I had a conversation last weekend about this, about Raghavan versus Chandler. And that's a conversation that I want to have on air with you right now. So the okay, conversation was what's better and comment, please comment below what you think is Raghavan or Dragon Rage Chandler better. And my, so the conversation before we get into it, the conversation started because I asked on the all time scale, what's the better creature, Raghavan or Deathrite Shaman? And you responded and said, well, I think Chandler is actually better than Raghavan, maybe. And that was where the conversation started Deathrite going. Shaman, but then I followed there. Yeah. 
So we're talking about two different creatures printed in the same set for the same cost and the same color that we're comparing to probably, arguably, the best creature ever printed. The one-mana Planeswalker, the most famous one-drop creature probably ever in terms of power level now. Yeah. Um, that's the level of power we're talking. So is Raghavan or is Dragon Rage Channeler better, more problematic? Go. Uh, well, okay, so so the go to the drag, De- Deathrite Shaman. Deathrite Shaman is better than Raghavan for sure. I think it's better than Dragon Rage Channeler. I'm not even thinking. I, I know it is. I think it's better than both. The 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 weakness of Raghavan is its legendary status. It is not a drawback to be ignored. If I draw Raghavan as my second copy, it is so much worse than drawing a second copy of Deathrite Shaman or Dragon Rage Channeler by wide margins. And that is the argument for why Raghavan is worse than those two. Is th- all three of them generate value in similar ways. Deathrite Shaman doesn't need you to attack. Deathrite Shaman fixes your mana. Like, I think Deathrite Shaman is better than both still, and it's because the ways to shut it down are literally, if you do not have a removal spell, this card will do its thing, versus Raghavan, which, like, an unanswered Raghavan is worse than an unanswered um, Deathrite Shaman. Like, if, if we're talking, like, I'm playing in a vacuum where I have all three cards available and I get to choose one of them in my opening hand, and my opponent won't do anything for four turns... <laughs> Sure, I'll choose Raghavan. <laughs> but yeah, you get a card, but, you get mana. Sure. But Deathrite Shaman gets me to turn, gets basically time walks me if I play it on turn one, and on turn eight gets me go, you know, gets a a, a, a threat on board that's unblockable, right? You have to either have a removal spell or this is going to kill me or stabilize me. And Raghavan on turn one, if or if they have no creatures in the way, is great. But the moment they have a X one, Raghavan stops doing anything. And right. or if they have a Raghavan in play already, the second Raghavan I j- just draw drew is a discard spell. It, like doesn't you know it isn't even castable at that point. So there is there is the and then Dragon Rage Channeler has the same pro has the same kind of thing, right? Like if I draw my second Dragon Rage Channeler, now I have two. Like and right. and if they're not attacking, they're still every card I play. They're drawing me half a card, right? Double Maybe surveilling, or depending on which match, which which if I'm playing Luris, which I probably am. So like that's that's I think the reason the fact that multiples are usable, the fact that a, any amount of them on a stalled board on the ground is going to still draw me cards every turn. And then the last piece of that information, which if it is stalled on the ground, they fly. <laughs> so you have to have flying blockers to stop this creature versus Raghavan that gets blocked in. But when you're ahead, Raghavan is better. Dragon Rage Channeler and and Deathrite. Dragon Rage Channeler is better behind and in situations where your person is in your way. And Deathrite Shaman is just good always there is no like the only point Dragon Deathrite Shaman is bad is if you're both of your graveyard like rest in pieces in play which fine like weird sideboard tech <laughs> against so it's blocker. so it's interesting to say that your your opinion is that dragon rage channeler is the second best creature ever printed is basically your your opinion no one no drop i think it's for sure Raghavan. one drop. uh one drop creature ever printed then i mean what else would even be in the consideration for this birds of paradise one drop one drop. i think a oh, one drop uh Birds of Paradise is not better than Dragon Rage Chandler or Raghavan. Um, Delver. Give me Delver. No. <laughs> Land or off. <laughs> Creature type matters. <laughs> um, Raging Goblin, maybe. 
No, I think I'm fine with that. If we're saying it has to be a one drop creature, I think the best. Oh, uh, Mother of Runes, I would say is better. Than yeah, both. right. You get into that. You get into that. Uh, or like Goblin Welder. Like if we're talking not in modern history, yes, I think it's the second best creature ever printed. Once you get into Legacy, you get into yeah, the Mother of Ruins world. I think Viscera Seer is up there too, like a, a dark horse candidate. Um, nah, it's just. I don't think it's. That's just a heavy bias. You just love that card. <laughs> no, no, I think mean, like, it's a good card. I, I think like it's just unique in what it does. I think there is a few options in that category. Like if I'm making my top five modern one drops segment for the podcast, you go <laughs> Deathrite Shaman at number one. I would put. De- Dragon Rage Channel at number two, Ragavan at number three, uh, Noble Hierarch at number four, and uh, Visser Seer at number five. Over Mom. You'd put, oh, for modern, for modern. Modern, 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 modern. And then, and, and like, and maybe Glistener Elf goes above Visser Seer. Like, it's like, why one is of those Giver two. of Runes so much worse? Because it can't protect itself? Correct. Like by itself, that's I mean, like colorless is cool, but it's not in 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 the context of modern the format where like every deck starts with four prismatic ending, four lightning bolt, four fatal push, or four uh, right uh, unholy heat. It's like <laughs> it's got exile, right? Like like creatures that aren't good. Like it's it's hilarious how good creatures are in modern for how much removal spells are in the format. But um, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a list I would go with. Yeah, like, that's, I think, what I, that's, I think, that's what I kind of figured. I think that it's it's really interesting to think about the format right now, and we're seeing that the number one and two most played creatures in the format are Ragavan and Dragon's Rage Channeler, right? So it's it's two of the three best cre- one drop creatures ever printed right now are the most played creatures in modern. Yeah, I will I will say in defense of Ragavan over Dragon Rage Channeler, I think Ragavan is better in a wider library of decks. I will give That's that. Fair. Like Dragon Rage Channeler requires you to have a deck built around making Dragon Rage Channeler work. Well, you can just play Ragavan in any red deck. And that that like if someone wants to argue against me, that's the think the best argument is that like my deck does not need to be built around Dra- Dragon Rage Channeler. If I'm playing Ragavan, I could put it in a Naya Stompy deck. I can put him in a tempo deck. I can put him in a control deck. To be honest, I can put him in like as long as my deck is fine having a creature. So not indomitable creativity. I'm or like a cascade deck. Then Ragavan can be in it. Do you know what the funniest third thing to talk about creature wise is? And this this is hilarious because if you've played enough modern, then you know this. The third most played creature is endurance. And when we all talked about the best incarnations, it's amazing how wrong people were. Not like it's not even because they were wrong. It's metagame dependent. It's like it. It's the fact that really all five of them I think are amazing. There's only one really that people look down on. And it's the blue one. I'd say that's the only one that is really looked at as like. And I, it has its place because it kind of counteracts the other ones in some ways. But like, mm-hmm. the, it's funny to me that Fury and Endurance have had such a place in the sun lately. And like, Grief was like the hype one. Grief was the hot one. When these got spoiled, Grief was the card. Like, we right, all were like, right. right? Grief was like, the, everybody was talking about like, you know, ephemerating your grief on turn one. And Solitude was like the pretty clear number two. Solitude feels like it's the most accurately predicted of all of them. I think, I think Solitude is number one. For the record, like endurance is seeing more play and it saw more play in this tournament with a format that's like heavily made out of decks that want it in your sideboard to protect your graveyard because you're playing a street wraith deck or you're playing right. a living end deck that wants to recycle your living lens into your deck. Right. Like I think like endurance is a better sideboard card, but like that always sucks. I like when you talk about the best cards in a format and then someone's like, well, 
Blood Moon sees more play in the sideboard or, you know, or or right, uh, right, 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 right. Uh, Chalice of the Void is the best artifact in the format because it's in every sideboard or whatever. Or, you know, it's like kind of like, OK, yeah, fine. It is seeing more play as far as copies in the top 32. But the decks aren't it's not pushing decks through tournaments the way that I'm like Solitude does. Right. Like Solitude is in the main decks of decks and decks are being built around abusing it. And it's seeing play in every game that it's in there versus, you know, 20% of games endurance is in the matchup and is super powerful there. And decks want to always have it available for that. But most games they're playing don't see an endurance cast. Well, the other thing that's hilarious to me also on the same in the same breath is that the only force that is played in the top 10 spells is the green force force that, of vigor, which like, which like now, yeah. which now, like now that two or years or three years has passed, I think we can kind of all look at each other and agree. Like, Maybe it's one A, one B, but it's not like you have force of negation and the other ones like it felt for a minute. It's really like force of vigor might be better than force of negation, but they're pretty damn close. They're 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 like equally valuable to have like counterspells on here and force of negation is not right. I think I think there's that makes sense to me. Right. It, it, it's it's yeah. that force of neg- force of vigor metagame dependent is just more powerful. It's another similar. It's a similar situation too, though, right, where where. A lot of those are in sideboards, um, right. but it's such a blowout against specifically Urza Saga. Yep. And Amulet decks and even stuff like the 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 Grixis Shadows decks that like it's hard for me to be surprised that it's so powerful. And it's, I think it being so played is one of the reasons that Hammer Time did so badly. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's really good against Hammer Time decks. It's I mean, it's really good against a lot of decks, though, to be completely honest, like for like Force of Vigor is just an enormous blowout against like a, a number of different well, decks. Anyone's playing Urza Saga, right? Like that's that's the real. Which like it's hard with the most played cards list because it doesn't include lands. And I so I don't think you get how many Urza Saga are. are seeing play. Um, but the fact that like Mishra's Bobble is the second most played spell in the format, I think is a points towards that's how many urza saga decks there are um it's like ragavan expressive iteration and mishra's bubble that's that's a big one that we haven't talked a lot but like expressive iteration being in 34 percent of decks in the top 32 is an insane statistic as well it's it's wild too because when you compare expressive iteration to similar cards the cards that it compares to over the years right like it's kind of wild how this version of the card is the one like the difference between expressive iteration and telling time, for instance, is like, you know, obviously iteration is a better card. Like there's nobody's doubting that. But on the surface, with telling time being an instant and only costing blue one, the difference between the two cards does not seem on the surface like it's that drastic. But when you play them, they could not feel more different. Expressive expressive iteration feels like it's a, you know, it's a real like card advantage card, whereas the other one just feels like a cheap card selection spell. And mm-hmm. it's the templating of this card and the specific word choices that they use that really makes the difference because you may you may play the exiled card this turn as the first piece of it that's so necessary, right? Because it means you can play a land off of it. Um, it I, it's just th- this card is very 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 good. I've I've played it a lot now, and I'm I'm surprised because it compares to so many similar card selection cards over the years how much better this version is. Agreed, agreed. Now now you know we're 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 getting closer to 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 wrapping up, and and I do want to ask. And then have my own thoughts. 
do you think a card needs to be banned? Do we, do we, do we think like if, if you were, if you were in charge of wizards, would you just make your announcement Monday that in a week, Monday, you're going to be coming out with a ban announcement in modern and then ban Luris, or do you wait to see what Kamigawa, how Kamigawa affects the format? Because this is a first day set for, you know, first, first week of the set being out there, uh, based metagame shift. My answer to the question is yes, you ban something and the thing you ban is Luris. And the reason you do it is very specific. Um, Magic, you know, has now been around for more than 25 years. You know, we're, we're 30, going on 30 years pretty soon. And the, the, the sort of confines of the game design are fairly simple. I mean, there are certain things, truths that have been there since the entire history of the game, right? You introduce new stuff and new card types, whether it's a planeswalker or a, a vehicle or things like that, you know, the London Mulligan, whatever. These are, these are all things that you can try that sort of update the game. But one of the fundamental truths of Magic for the longest time is you don't get to start the game in a 1v1 format with an extra card that you can play every game. Now, Companions changed this, and we know they were a problem when they were printed. We talked about this when they were first previewed. Luris being the problem that, is it, that it is is not something that can be fixed by new cards from a new format. If those cards are powerful and they're designed in the same way as other cards, Luris will just make those cards more powerful. It, you would have to design a card that just said you can't play Luris anymore. This costs zero and I get it in every game or something. It would have to be some, like, you know, some silly thing that would never happen. Uh, for that reason, I think Luris has to go because we've, we've now seen the evidence has been proven to us over time that this is an issue. There's nothing that a new set of cards from a standard format or even really from a like modern format, like a, like a Modern Horizons 3 is going to do that can change Luris. Now, is that a problem with all companions? Probably. Is Luris the one that I think is most guilty and the most power, like powerfully problematic? Definitely. And I think that if you have to make that decision, it's Luris that's got to go above all else because it's the only one of the problem cards that just changes the rules of magic. We, we never had that mm -hmm. before. I think I think like Gigantha doesn't create unfun game states to have it in the companion zone. Like like sometimes the actual have it as a freebie. Cool. Here's your five mana five or four, four or whatever its power and toughness is. But uh, that like kind of ramps you whatever and like it, it'll make things like a little less fun because sometimes people won't play like the blue blue pip thing they'll only play you know like they'll, they'll like make small choices like that i think you could print a thousand different possible control creatures that will make it so kahira doesn't see playing the control lists like i i think like they're getting to do it now and it's making like oh kahira is probably better than snapcaster mage but that's probably not always true. And the moment they print an instant that's better than prismatic ending or like make an instant spell that makes it worth playing Snapcaster Mages, I think Snap comes back. Or they print another creature that's just not an elemental cat, nightmare, beast, right? Those are the four things. Uh, so, yeah. And, you know, I think that like Obosh, honestly, in the companion zone is dope. I think that's a real cost, not playing two drops in modern. Uh, I think that. Um, and then the other ones aren't really seeing play right now. So like Luris is the only one to me that does create really, really, really specific like. Deck building constraints in a way that is a net negative for the format and is extraordinarily powerful and recursive. Uh, and I like do think creates, there's creates the same game state every single time. Gigantha is a big creature that might ramp you to your 10 drop. If you have a 10 drop, uh, Luris makes the gameplay of every single deck that's playing it exactly the same. I think there's concern that if Luris was to get banned, you would see decks shift towards what's the most powerful thing I can do that includes a companion. And maybe that's a problem or maybe not. Um, I know that the idea of having a companion 
and the inevitability of having a companion is one of the issues. It's not just Luris's power level. It's the idea that you play a fair game of magic against someone. And if you guys are going tit for tat, round for round, one for one, at a certain point, when you are resource trading, you are guaranteed a resource with an extraordinarily low startup cost. If control decks lean into your end because they have an extra card or something like that, and and that's the only place I could see like just companions yeah, like, in general. Yorion, Yorion's gameplay is different every time. You have to have like Yorion forces your decks to be less consistent every game. Like the the Luris problem to me from a gameplay perspective is it creates extremely repetitive gameplay. Right, every turn with Luris in play, not between decks, but every turn, if I have a Luris in play, my turns basically are now, I do the exact same one thing every turn. I now have like an extra step every turn I have to do every time. With Yorion, I play my big blinky thing. Yes, I want to play with permanence that can benefit from it, but I could have an elemental deck. I could have a, uh, like a creature-based deck. I could have a Planeswalker deck. I can have a control deck. I can have an aggro deck. Like the library of different things I can do with Yorion is so much wider from a gameplay perspective that it's fun. And you can include anything in your deck. It's not like Luras where it's like L3 drops that would be good in uh, grindy decks are no longer legal in modern, which is currently what right. we're playing. Unless you're Murktide Regent. Murktide Regent is like the one weird exception to that rule, but you have to be that power level to be able to make it so you don't play Luras. Right. I would agree. So I, I think the answer is yes. I think we, it sounds like we kind of agree. Luras has got to go. Um, I think that Luras should be banned. I think Luras should be banned in two months. Oh, you want to you want to like let the format breathe. I think first. We, I think we need at least a month of letting Kamigawa like do its thing because I think that there are cool cards in it. The one thing I will say is I don't think there's a lot of cards in Kamigawa that are like good against Luris decks. Like the most powerful yeah. stuff, if anything, is like good with Luris, other than maybe artifacts, enchantment, destruction lands. But even then, I think yeah, I think like uh, the the one the one thing is like I think Amulet Titan is good against Luris. I think like classically those two decks are opposed and i think the most powerful effects from kamigawa are effects that make amulet and titan decks excuse me that make amulet titan decks more powerful and with that in mind i'm really looking at a a a format that could maybe fight against luris but is like luris decks versus amulet and titan decks the best format that i want to play in i don't know so yeah, it's hard. It's it's very hard to know. Uh, it is funny to me that we freak out so much about a three drop that you have to pay to three get again in your hand and cast it that can just be removed. <laughs> like it is funny to me that that's like all it is, it, mm-hmm. right? It's like this extraordinary amount of work. But I mean, just the value you get of going through all of that one time, you get one bobble back, a single extra draw, and then if they have to burn a spell on it, now you've traded your card for their spell. And you've gotten back your bobble one time. Yeah, it's, and that's like it's, a, it's sort of. It's a guaranteed six mana discard draw card. Worst, worst version of the spell. And that's right. And, and also like part of the play, like interestingly enough, the play pattern of the new version of companions where you have to pay three mana means that they're like better against removal. Because my deck is built to get to the point where Luris comes down and my opponent is top decking alongside me. Like it's the Jund game plan, right? So it's like, it's more like I get the top deck, a Liliana of the veil, no guaranteed on turn six for sure. Yeah. And like against a lot of decks, that's just would I would win. I like Jund would win every one of those matchups and, and it's like reverse Liliana's instead of each of us discarding a card and me getting to play a card. So it's at parody or forcing you to play a card every turn, I get to draw two cards a turn. <laughs> so it's right, like, right, right. 
yeah, so I, I'm not surprised this card is very strong, but we'll, we'll, we'll see if it survives. For sure. So I think that wraps up kind of our metagame breakdown of what's going on in Modern. Uh, it's definitely cool to see a big tournament with a lot of uh, hot decks going on. It feels like we're getting closer and closer and closer to there being more in-person magic happening sooner than later. Fingers crossed. That continues to be the trend. Definitely looking forward to playing some in-person magic at a large event when I get the chance. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I am super, I am super hyped. I like, I, I think modern is in a very, like, yes, the top eight looks really scary, but when you drop down the amount of really cool decks we got to talk about tonight is sweet. I think the fact that you can do all of those cool things in modern is really, really cool. And I'm excited to see where the meta game goes to. And that's kind of why I want to wait to ban anything. Cause I think that there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And the fact that like the best four players happen to be best, like, like Grixis control, pl- Grixis, Grixis death shadow players who have had the last six months to get good at their deck did good in a format of a bunch of people trying out new stuff isn't super surprising to me and also shouldn't be the thing that we're like oh no we need to ban cards because it's like people are learning it but we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes and i i'm f- totally fine if in three weeks of modern challenges just grix's control continues to be the best deck in the format to an unhealthy percentage and like hammer time just disappears is like okay loris needs to go like yeah. honestly <laughs> hammer time has almost been saving loris to me this whole time the fact that like well, this dumb equipment deck is the best deck in the format because it has a cool draw engine, like that's a cool thing that Luris was doing. And if the metagame decided that that's no longer good, then I definitely think there's no reason to keep Luris around. I mean, the non the non Nettlesist version of Hammer Time plays Luris, so <laughs> just, just just for the record. No, 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 no. I'm saying that's that's a Luris deck that is cool, right? Like Luris being, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like yes, I think I think the deck becomes a Nettlesist deck, right? It transfers to that version if they ban Luris. But the fact that Luris was allowing Hammer Time, which is a weird aggro equipment deck, like affinity meets infect almost to be the best deck in the format is fine. I think that's the best deck in the format is a healthy place for modern and B. But if it, if because of the new lands and people just realizing that big force of vigor is good, that hammer time is no longer in the top five decks in the format or in the top two, then you're worried about, it, I get you. Then Luris becomes a lot more problematic to me because it's now no longer really enabling fun decks that are doing cool stuff. It's just enabling Grixis control, which like, I love Grixis control as a Kess aficionado slash control player. Like I'm here <laughs> for it, but I also don't think it should be the best deck in the format by like a, in the type of way it dominated this tournament. Yes, I would agree. I think that's fair. That's my that's my my mic drop. Thank you again, uh, listeners. Also, make sure to check out Ultra Pro Products. They also are one of the cool sponsors of this podcast, helping make it happen. I'm a big fan of the, bull, the these guys. They let they let me color code the decks that I have inside of them. Um, the Satin Towers, and uh, they have a bunch of really cool product coming out, like glitter versions of it, and all the new play mats with all the Kamigawa characters, including all of the like Japanese altar artwork stuff. So definitely check them out as well. Uh, and um, make sure to check out TikTok. Me and Ben, we've been posting. You want movie content? Follow Ben. You want magic content? Follow <laughs> me. You want music content? Follow Ben. You want anime content? Follow me. It's sweet. TikTok's the best. I'm having a great time on there. So come interact. At Ben Baton Media, at Kess Wiley on all platforms. Uh, also, I did a whole episode on Shivan Bot's podcast. Uh, you can check it out on YouTube or on his podcast app. We go over the whole toy industry and the Hasbro Woods of the Coast merger thing that's happening. Definitely recommend checking that out if you want to hear me talk about like how the toy industry affects Magic the Gathering. That is the place to go. So check that out as well. Uh, and we will talk to all of y'all next week. Hit that subscribe button and the like button. Hey guys. This has been a production of Time Traveler.
Ascending Podcast into the future.